Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment that we get to be together in this such unique sacred space of community that infused with spirituality, God. We ask that you would be here in our midst and that you would draw us into the conversation that you have for us, that we might become more like you in the process of engaging your word, engaging one another, engaging and lifting our voices to you, Father. We're grateful that we get to be here and now with you and with one another. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a series called Disciple, taking a look at the art of following. And this is going to be actually our last week of that series before we start a brand new series next week that I'm very, very excited about called Fruit. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at what the scriptures call the fruit of the Spirit. And you're going to have the opportunity to hear from over eight communicators over the next few weeks about how that shows up in our lives. Now, even though this series is ending today, this is our last conversation in this specific context, it's not ending for the year. In fact, our word for the year, 2022, is disciple. That is where we're headed. That is where we're going to be moving towards. That is going to be our reference point for everything that we do this year as a community. And, and this year, it was so crystal clear for me as to why this year our theme, our word, our focus was going to be what it looks like to be followers, apprentices, students of Jesus, because I've actually been really heartbroken over the last two years watching as people have engaged circumstances and chaos and trials and have had no clue where to turn. Or... They, they, they kind of had an idea, but other voices intervened, and then there was a mixture of what they knew they were called into and what they heard around them, and suddenly there was this confusion as to where they were supposed to head into. And so, so people found themselves in political unrest, and they didn't know who they were supposed to turn to. They found themselves in physical scarcity and fear and confusion, and they found themselves not knowing where to go to. They found themselves in economic crises, and they found themselves not really knowing what to go to. And oftentimes, when we don't know who we're following, we we scramble. And I thought, you know, we actually have to have a conversation about this before the scramble, so that when the chaos comes, or when the circumstances hit, or when life inevitably hits, we've already been in a posture of following. We've already been in a place of apprenticeship. We've, always been, we've already been in this place of discipleship, so we actually know where we're headed. Because here's the thing, if you don't know who you're following, you don't really know your map for reality. In other words, you don't really know how you're making sense of the world around you. You don't know where to turn to to inform you of what is true and what is not true in the world around you. So, so, we, look, so we start looking for all kinds of sources to inform us of, of things like what is morally right and what does justice look like and what does it look like to be generous and what does it look like to give our time. And we oftentimes find ourselves anxious not because there isn't a way out but because we can't find the way out because we've been 
not training ourselves in this process to step into that. In the middle of the storm, now we're suddenly looking for who we should follow or who we should apprentice or who we should be following in the middle of this. And here's the thing, you were made to follow something. You can't get out of that. I know I have this fantasy that I can someday. That someday I will be the expert, that someday I will not need to follow someone, that someday I will have things all figured out. Does anyone else share that fantasy with me? Yeah. And so here's the thing, is you never get out of that. You will always be following something. You will always be an apprentice of someone. You will always be engaged in learning discipleship in some context. And when you don't choose what that is, one will be chosen for you. So you don't get to choose if you follow, you just get to choose who you follow. And if you don't choose, one will be chosen for you. And usually the one that's chosen for you is a cruel master, generally. Because people generally don't drift into wholeness. They don't drift into gratitude. They don't drift into abundance. They don't, they don't drift into a healthy life in the middle of that. Now here's the thing, you can choose to follow yourself, but good luck with that. Because I don't know about you, but I am a horrible source of my own truth in the middle of this. It's, it, when you decide that you are going to be your own source of truth and that you are going to be your own disciple in the process, it's kind of like being thrown in a random location in the United States and then having someone say, get back home, you have no idea where you're at, and saying, yeah, I don't really need a GPS, I'm good, I got this. Now, chances are you may be able to stumble your way back to where you need to be, but it's certainly not going to be with any intention. And it's certainly not going to be with any purpose. And it's certainly not going to be with any joy or passion. It's going to be fumbling your way forward. And if you're interested in fumbling your way forward, feel free to use yourself as your own source of truth. But there's other sources that are available to us. See, other people choose... Disciple, people to disciple them are things to be rulers and lords over them, like money or power or their career or success or beauty or sex. And look, all of them come with a certain degree of freedom, but they also come with a certain degree of bondage and demands that come with those. And when Jesus invites us into following him, he basically says, look, follow me and I'm going to set you free. In fact, this is what he said to his disciples in Matthew 4, 18 through 20, when he calls them out. Now imagine here they are fishing and they're not just like fishing like you and I would fish. They're out working. So imagine that you're sitting at your job and Jesus comes up to you and has this conversation with you. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake. They were working. They were writing emails. They were getting some paperwork done. They were in a business meeting. They were checking the Google Drive, whatever it may be right there. And he says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of all people. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. They put down the email, they set down their phone, they unplugged what they needed to, and they left. Now, now, Jesus says, come follow me, and I will invite you into this amazing life. He basically says, look, I'm going to actually make you fishers of men. I'm going to put you in a place where you are going to be interacting with humanity at the highest level possible if you're willing to follow me, and I will set you completely free in the process. Sign me up for that. But then he says, drop everything and follow me. And that's usually where he loses us. That's usually where he loses us in the process because here's the thing, you cannot be a disciple of two masters. It doesn't work. I, I, that's another fantasy that I have. Like I would love to be discipled by both Papa John's Pizza and Keto, right? 
I'm still trying to figure out how that works, right? But you just can't because the two masters are in conflict with one another. So Jesus actually says, look, you can't have two masters. They're going to cancel each other out. So will you drop everything and follow me here in this place? And I find that this is the hardest part about being a disciple, choosing to commit, And this is where Jesus actually works, is when we choose to commit. See, anyone with commitment issues out there? Come on, let's just be honest, right? You can can silently to yourself say that. Look, I, I have Enneagram 7 tendencies, and I have tons of commitment issues, because I have FOMO at the extreme, fear of missing out, right? And so I can tell you, I research everything to the nth degree, because I'm afraid that if I commit to something, there's going to be something better that comes along the next day. In fact, whenever I I have this obsession, whenever I book a flight, I immediately start searching like every hour to see if there's a better price just to make sure that I got the best price available because I don't want to miss out because I'm afraid that if I commit to this, then somehow months down the road, weeks down the road, I'm going to find out that there was a better option. I kid you not, I just spent six weeks studying silverware on Amazon Because I was like, well, there's this higher price set and it looks better, but there's this lower price set, but the reviews are, and what if I pay more, but it's not as good? Or what if I did pay as much and it would be just as good as the cheap stuff? And this is how I find myself relating to commitment at times. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, leave everything, there's a problem here. See, I actually think in our culture, the question, does God exist, is no longer a relevant relevant question. I actually think people have answered that question, and I actually think most people, if you would ask them, is there some sense of a divine or some some source outside of you, they would say yes. See, I think the relevant question that people are asking, that we are asking, is if there is a God, can he be trusted with our commitment? Can he actually be trusted with me giving him my full life? And see, here's the problem with that question, is there's only one of two answers, yes or no. I know we would love like a Facebook maybe somewhere in here, right? But there isn't. There is just a yes or a no. And so we find ourselves like living in the maybe, which is essentially a no, or we find ourselves deconstructing Jesus, removing everything that's offensive or doesn't fit with our own worldview or doesn't fit with feels comfortable to us or doesn't fit with looks good to us. And so then we find ourselves following a Jesus that looks a lot like us and then we're back to square one following ourselves. So it's difficult in this space. There's this paradox of following Jesus. And here's the paradox, is that you won't know if he is trustworthy until you follow him with everything. And following him with everything is the only way to know that he's trustworthy. And so it's an all or nothing proposition, not because he's trying to be stingy, it's just because he's saying, look, this is the only way that this is gonna work. So if you're gonna choose another Lord, just go full, like full at it. But if you're up to following me, it's all or nothing proposition. But if you do, his promise is that he will bring you back to life and that he will set you free. And so this year, I'm going to invite you continually into this radical way of living, of everything, of laying down everything and making him the Lord that you follow with everything, everything inside of you. See, here's the crazy thing. As I've looked back at the last few years of the church in general, specifically in America, the movement of Jesus has assumed that it could make more people follow Jesus by making follow, following Jesus super palpable and removing any type of struggle or commitment. 
And, and the churches assume, like, like, maybe we can help people, like, maybe we can make this more appealing if we're not like, come follow me, but more like, come sit and listen when you don't have something going on on a Sunday morning. Or we've assumed that we could help people follow Jesus when we're like, hey, come and just participate when you want to. And if there's an opportunity to get connected to community when it's convenient for you, if you want to, maybe if they have a really nice home, then go there. And so we find ourselves removing all of the struggle, all of the commitment, all of the intensity to it in this hope that people might get connected to Jesus requiring nothing but the lowest level of commitment to essentially show up and listen when you want. But ironically, it's in the commitment and the struggle that our lives are actually shaped. It's in the, it's in the grit of being fully in that our lives are transformed into this space of freedom. And so the ironic thing that is if you remove the struggle, if you remove the commitment, if you remove the grit, you lose all the power and you lose all the freedom and you lose all the life that comes along with this. So I am empathetic to a culture that looks at a powerless church and says, why would I ever want to follow that? There's a much better entertainment venue down the road and they walk away from the conversation. So today, I, I, I would like to debut a discipleship process for you and with you that we have been two years in the making now. But before I do that, I wanna share with you our why, which is really critical, which is our mission here at Humanity Church. Now, how many of you have like, at your work have gone through some type of HR presentation where they give you the mission statement, yes? like probably employee orientation several years ago, right? How many of you actually know your, your, your company's mission statement? Yeah, I didn't think so. One, who works here? So oftentimes when, when we look at these mission statements, it's kind of like a nice phrase on a wall or something that's presented to you. But here at Humanity Church, our mission statement infuses, it drives, it informs and forms every single thing that we do. It is ingrained into the fabric of what we are. And I realize that I've actually never spoken on it. If you've been to Welcome to Humanity, you've heard about it. We talk about it all the time in our staff meetings. It's a, it's a guide point for our leadership here at Humanity Church. But when Paul was talking to the church in Thessalonica, this is what he said to them. And this is where our mission as Humanity Church is drawn from. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, this is the plumb line that we're shooting for as a community. And it says this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 verse 3. It says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there are three areas here that, we all, that will always inform our mission and our movement here at Humanity Church. And likewise, it will inform what it looks like for us to follow Jesus and to become passionate apprentices of him here and now. And that is our mission, to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. And so I want to look at each of these through this lens of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. See, the first part of this mission is to actually live by faith. And, and probably the quintessential verse on faith comes from Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is confident in what we hope for and the assurance about we do not see. See, the very act of choosing to follow Jesus is an act of faith. 
It is being confident of what you hope for and being assured about what you cannot see because the way of Jesus is actually incredibly counterintuitive to our need to stay safe, for our need for predictability, for our need to have things known and planned out and stay in control. It goes against every single drive to protect ourselves and to keep things manageable. His invitation to us is an invitation into a life of faith because here's the thing, it will call you out of your animal instincts to simply survive and keep yourself protected and into what it looks like to be fully human, to be fully alive, to fully step into the life that you were called to live. And it takes an act of faith following God as his disciples to forgive others being assured that you will be released in the process. It takes an act of faith to follow a God who asks you to give generously, being assured that you will be and are provided for in any situation. It takes an act of faith to believe in a God who asks you to become a servant to every single person that you come in contact with, believing that that is the pathway to greatness. It takes faith, believing in a God who says to submit to a moral code for living, being assured that that actually will move to wholeness. It takes faith, believing in a God who asks you to live a meek life, being assured that you will inherit the earth. Because that goes against every single thing that our heart and our mind and our spirit are telling us to do. It it, it goes against everything. And so there's just, there's an act of faith, even in believing, before you even do anything, There's an act of faith of stepping into this. See, because there is a leap between knowing what is good and being a disciple of what is good. Of simply knowing, here are all the good things in life and here are all the good things that the scriptures have to say and here are all the good things that Jesus has to say and actually being an apprentice of those things and having them show up in your life and we call that faith. Because anyone can understand the material, it's the leap in which faith exists. It's the leap into practicing these. And you know what I found with every single human that I've ever talked to? Is that everyone wants to walk on water, but not everyone wants to get out of the boat. (laughs) I've never talked to a human being that that at the end of the day is like, yeah, I would like to live like a a life of meaning and, and like some sense of the miraculous. I would love my life to be defined by something bigger than just a nine to five and coming home and and cooking dinner and rinse and repeat. Every single person I've talked to has said, it would be amazing to live a life that was extraordinary, that was defined by the unexplainable. And let me just tell you, there is a world of difference between my fantasy idea of what it feels like to walk on water and what it actually feels like and looks like to walk on water. See, because oftentimes when we start out with this proposition from Jesus, come follow me, I will set you free, I will give you life. We have this fantasy idea that it's just gonna be like super fun. Like this sounds great, follow you, life, freedom. And here's the thing, if you've been following Jesus for more than like a month, you will know that that quickly turns to terror. (laughs) You will know that it quickly turns to extreme fear. And this is what every single one of Jesus's followers in the scriptures found in this process is that as he called them deeper and deeper into following him, the more fear and anxiety and overwhelm they had at moments because faith requires us to look past what we can see in the physical and what Jesus is actually calling us into in the spiritual. And there's a world of difference between the two of those things. Every deep move of God in my life 
has been both exhilarating and terrifying all at the same time. And I can guarantee you that if you start following him, you will sign up for the same. See, because what you do and who you look to in a moment of terror will determine everything. I mean, if you just look over the last two years, where you've turned to and who you've trusted has determined where you're at today and the fear you live in, the willingness to move forward, the choices that you've made, the community that you have, it will define your life as living in the miraculous or the mundane. And that choice is yours, whether you diminish the impact that you were made for or you step into it. And this is the call to live by faith. But when you, look, when you choose to stand for the things that God is discipling you into, is apprenticing you into, is calling you into, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it doesn't look good, even when it doesn't sound or taste right, and you're like, everything about this seems incredibly off, but you know, you know, you know that this is what Jesus has called you into. What happens is the entire force of heaven and earth are moved in your favor to support you in stepping into that leap of faith. But it's only until you make that decision to live by faith that all of heaven and earth begin to move with all of its provisions for you. See, what I've also noticed is that everyone wants the provision, but no one wants to step into a life that actually requires the provision. We say, God, give me the stuff first and then I'll move. And he says, move. And then I'll provide everything that you need in this moment. And in living by faith, your life becomes the most tangible evidence for God. It surpasses any argument. It surpasses any sermon or illustration. Your life actually becomes the substance for which others experience God. And so the call to discipleship is a call to live a life of risk. But in that, it is a call to live a miraculous life and to experience the unthinkable. And Paul says this about living by faith in 1 Corinthians 13, a passage that we often read at weddings, but it really has nothing to do with weddings. But it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing If I give all of my positions to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. See, here's the thing. Living by faith without it being informed by love is just reckless risk. That's all it is. And this is why living by faith is not enough. Being known by love, it has to accompany this life lived by faith over here. See, anyone can live by faith. Anyone can be a risk taker. There are plenty of people in life who take risks, but we are the tribe who are called to live by faith and also to be informed by love in that leap of faith. You know what I found is that when when people are asked what they experience from Christians, most people who don't know Jesus, I, I rarely get answers like super loving and compassionate, understanding, really gentle. I mean, I usually get answers like, Arrogant, irrelevant, mean, judgmental, politically positioned. And that's because for far too long, the church has decided to make leaps of faith and left behind the motivating factor of love. 
So you can't have one without the other. This is why this part of our mission as followers of Jesus begs this question, how are you known? I mean, it's actually a really interesting experiment. When I put out my book a few years ago, uh, my publisher said, I need you to contact 10 people and to give adjectives of how they would describe you so we know how to market you. Let me just tell you, that is a very vulnerable experience. To just, I mean, if you ever want to just like get a, like a, like, hey, uncover me naked, just call your 10 friends and say, could you give me seven adjectives that you would say describe me? <laughs> I mean, really, but this is what, what the question that Jesus asks us in this is like, how do people know you and know us as a movement? Jesus informs us of how he wants that question to be answered. In John 13, he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So clearly, Jesus is saying, look, here's how I would like this question to be answered. When people ask, hey, how, what is your experience of the movement of Jesus, that it would not be arrogant or judgmental or politically driven or staunch or irrelevant, that the question would simply be love. And here's the crazy thing, is that love covers so much. It is like my dream one day to just be the guy who is known, and people can say all kinds of crazy things about me, like, wow, he believes all kinds of weird things, and he does all kinds of weird things, and there's all kinds of craziness around his life that, that I don't understand, but that guy loves. And isn't it crazy how that adjective almost trumps everything else? Isn't it crazy how you can get away with almost anything, believe almost anything, and the second someone says, oh, but they love, it covers it. And suddenly people are willing to overlook like, well, well, we have a difference in opinion or we have a difference in politics or we have a difference in, in ideas. But you know what? That guy loves. And that moment right there when people say, but they love, creates an opening for all kinds of other conversations. It creates an opening for all kinds of other interactions and engagements. See, without love, you can't start. There's no starter without it. And, and then it, this 1 Corinthians passage continues, which you're probably very familiar at. You've probably bought in like a, a thing from Hobby Lobby and have this in your house somewhere. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angers, it keeps no records of wrong, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Now, here's the thing. I get anxious nowadays talking about love, which is why Scott will be talking about it in the fruit series, not me. And here's why. Here's why. Because the second you say love, I've noticed that our brains almost just tune out because it's become, it just becomes so common a word. And it's lost most of its meaning in our society, in our culture. And it sounds fun and it sounds nice. And we read it at weddings because we have warm, gushy feelings about it until you realize that every single thing in this list is simply a call for extreme sacrifice. See, to be patient is a sacrifice, yes? To be kind when everything inside of you says to cuss out the other person is a sacrifice. To not envy, to, to say, look, that's great that you got the car and the house and the perfect thing and everything, and I'm, I'm content there's a sacrifice of my greed. To live in a space of not being proud or boasting is a sacrifice of my ego. 
When I am not easily angered, it is a sacrifice of my need to be offended in any given situation. We can go down the list, and every single thing is simply a call to sacrifice. Now it's much less fun, right? (laughs) Now it makes the whole wedding conversation sound a lot different, because love requires us to give up something for the sake of another. So love is essentially a call to a life of sacrifice. And so if we are those who are to be known by love, we must be those who are known by sacrifice, who are willing to give up our own desires, our own needs, our own need for approval, our own need to look a certain way, our own need for comfort, our own need to be the ones who have the right answer, to sacrifice all of that for the sake of the other that is over there. And the call to be known by love is a call to give all of that up, to become like Jesus so that others may know him, so that the call to discipleship is a call to sacrifice. See, this all sounds fun until you get into it, right? Like live by faith, be known by love until you're like, wow, that looks like risk and sacrifice. But there's something beautiful on the other side of that. See, because the the last part of our mission, which I, I love probably most in this, is that we are called to be the voice of hope in the world around us. Have you ever noticed how people that call themselves followers of Jesus are often like really downers? Like, they're just not a good time, right? I mean, look, if the world isn't ending, then there's a political war that's happening. If it's not a political war, it's some type of crazy culture clash that's going to take down everyone. If it's not a culture clash, it's some crazy obsession with hell. Not that there aren't moments or conversations needed to be had around this, but there's the overarching message of the church at times seems to be like doom and gloom, Right? about how awful the world is getting and how crazy our culture has become and how we need to protect ourselves from the evil out there. But this is what Jesus, this is what Paul says to us in the scriptures in Colossians about who we are and what we are created for. He says, I have become its servant, meaning the message of Jesus, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, here's the thing. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are an apprentice of his, you actually have the spirit of Christ living and moving and dwelling in you. The the scriptures actually say that the very same spirit that raised someone from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you, right? And this is what it calls us to. And here's the thing, if we, are, if we have that within us, if we have the spirit of Christ who raised him from the dead living within us and we're living a life that is filled with spiritual risk where love is our motivating factor and there is an assurance that things will turn out for beauty in the end, then really there is no other message that we should ever, ever, ever need to communicate other than hope. There's really no other message to give because the future will always look exponentially brighter than our past. And when we decide that hope will be our message, it shifts how we see the world. When we decide that the end game is won and we at the end win, 
It shifts how we interact with everything around us. See, we swim in a culture that glorifies dysfunction, that glorifies affliction, that glorifies despair. And we live in a culture that actually says, don't you dare suggest that change or hope is possible. Don't you dare suggest that. Don't you dare suggest that there's an answer to this. Don't you dare suggest that there's a probability that something else could happen other than my hopelessness. So here is how we transform the culture around us. We don't shout at it. We live out a message of hope and our lives actually become the message. Our lives actually become the message. See, we do not just need to declare hope with our words, but our very existence should be the evidence of the hope that is available to us because we declare hope every single time that we fall down and get back up. We declare hope every time that we hope, that we hurt and we keep on forgiving. We declare hope every time that things crumble around us and we continue to build. We declare hope every time we are betrayed and we go again and continue to bless. We declare hope every time we choose generosity in the face of scarcity we declare hope every time we speak out the truth even when the lies seem more true in the moment our lives are the message of hope to others around us and so we have to ask ourselves if someone was just to look at my life would my life be a message of hope would someone look at my life and say oh yeah there's hope that's seen there because we are those who have found the secret to invincibility for humanity. And so we get to share that, and his name is Jesus. And look, it takes discipline and discipleship to have the words of your mouth and the actions of your life be directed towards hope. It takes a lot of discipleship. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of training of yourself, to sacrifice, to risk, and then to speak and live out hope. But you were made to be a beacon for possibility in the world around you. I know that you were made for that. And here's what I also know, is that you are breathing here and now, which I hope that you still are. Your soul, your soul is attempting to answer three meta questions that every single human being on the planet is attempting to answer. Your soul is in the process of attempting to answer the question, where do I find meaning in life? Like what is meaningful and what makes life meaningful and, and how do I tap into this sense of meaning in my life? You're also answering the question of how can I be known and how can I know others? How can I be in a space where there is intimacy and connection and community available? You are also answering and asking the question, is there actually a future worth having for me? Is tomorrow worth getting up for? Is there something that calls me into the next level of existence? And every single one of you are answering those questions. And here's the thing that I do know is that as you follow Jesus, your soul will begin to find the questions to those answers because they are found in him. But here's the crazy thing is that your life becomes the answer to the questions that every single other human being on the planet is asking as well. Your life becomes the answer as you apprentice Jesus. And I'll leave you with this, that living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope is actually not about you. That, 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 look, there's a lot of perks that come alongside of it, right? There's a lot of benefits that come alongside of it, but it is actually not about you. 
See, as you become an apprentice of Jesus, yes, your life will be birthed into freedom. Yes, your life will be brought into life. Yes, you will be brought into the fullness of the glory that you were made to be for the world around you. But it is your life that will become the greatest indication of a living and loving God in the world around you. And so, really, you following Jesus is more about being a reflection of the glory of God every single space, circumstance, situation that you put yourself in so that we together may be a declaration of who God is. And this is why we've decided to make this year the year of discipleship. And I want to tell you about this discipleship track that we have built that we are actually launching next month. There's been a team of people who have been working vigorously over the last two years, putting this material together, putting this process together, studying what helps transformation take place and pulling together materials and pedagogies for learning and all kinds of other resources that we have available. And we are so excited to finally launch this next month here at Humanity Church. And we're calling it Redeeming Humanity. Now we've called other things, we wiped that clean, we're using the name New Process, right? And this is what this looks like. We're gonna be inviting you into a six-month process. It's rigorous because I am tired of saying, hey, let's see if we can create the lowest common denominator and then see if Jesus' power still shows up when Jesus is like, hey, how about you get up to the glorious life that I've called you into and step into that. And so every single month, starting next month, we are going to be launching cohorts of eight that will be going through this six-month process. And this six-month process is designed to be like a spiritual boot camp, creativity lab, life transformation process for you to become more and more like Jesus. So every, every month, this cohort will be coming together. There will be a meeting every single month. Every single month, you will be given eight growth guides that will be designed to help you focus your mind, your thoughts, your body, your spirit into living like Jesus and moving with him. Every single month, you'll be given a project by your cohort, with your cohort leader, that will invite you into taking this to the next level and not just thinking about who Jesus is, but experiencing it in your own, own your life. And there will be rich, meaningful conversations that will be had along the way. And so these cohorts of eight that will be starting in February, one per month, there'll be a cohort that'll start in February, a cohort that will start in March, a cohort will start in April. The first eight to sign up for each cohort is in. You'll have two leaders that will be with you along the process who will be guiding you and engaging you in the material. And here's what we will be looking at. We'll be looking at what is informing and shaping your worldview in other words, what is informing and shaping how you see the world, how you relate to authority, how you relate to submission, how you relate to your heart, soul, mind, body, and taking a look at what you've actually decided is Lord up until now and what it looks like to transform to having a Lord that sets you free. We'll be looking at the story of God and humanity and our intention is that you would be able to clearly articulate what it means to be a follower of Jesus and the passionate story that he has invited you into. We're gonna look at our core values here at Humanity Church and the soul environments that when you step into them, not only do you flourish, but the people around you flourish. We'll be looking at what it means to be in spiritual community in such a way that you transform lives around you. And you will be equipped and empowered to know exactly how to be in this movement known as the church with all of the gifts and all of the strengths and all of the power that are within you. 
You will have, by the end of this, a clear plan for what it looks like to engage spiritual disciplines like prayer and the scriptures and service and solitude and generosity and rest. And you will actually have a life map set out for you so that you know exactly the plan to move your life forward on a regular basis, stepping into that. And then you will be clearly guided on how to tell your story of connected to Jesus, connecting to Jesus in a way that would actually transform the world around you. And this six-month process is going to be so profound. We've written pages and pages and filmed videos and videos and put together material after material in this Along with this process will also include our Freedom Weekend that we launched last year. And let me tell you, there were people that were like literally physically healed in that weekend. There, yeah, which was awesome. There were people that came out of that weekend like with debilitating fear and are now like, I don't know what happened to it. It literally dissipated. There are people who have come out of that going, I never ever knew I had that type of spiritual authority in my life. It shocked me. And so that, that weekend will be a part of the process that we are going through. And then on top of that, we are developing, we're almost done with it. We're working with a software company, developing what we're calling a spiritual snapshot. Have you ever like wondered where am I at in my own spiritual journey? Like, wouldn't it be nice to just take an assessment and know? And so we're actually developing an assessment that you'll be able to take online. And by the end of it, it'll actually spit you out a six-page PDF that will basically, like, here's, you, here's where you're at in all of these areas. Here's your next steps. And here's how you can start moving forward. And so we've been working on this for the last two years. And we are excited to finally launch this. That you, by the end of this process, if you're up for engaging it, would know the fundamentals of the truths of Jesus to understand where your power lies to change, be equipped to live out your critical role in the community of God and his kingdom, and to know strategically how to share your story in a way that transforms lives. And we are putting all of our eggs in these three baskets over the next two years. Sunday gatherings, humanity church, and discipleship, and humanity groups, and discipleship. That's it. Because we believe that if we focus on becoming passionate followers of Jesus, then everything else will change. And by the way, this also translates into our kids as well, which is so powerful. Now, here's the thing. The first three cohorts of this process are up and ready for you to register. So March, in the month of March, the Garcias, Juan and Leslie Garcia, are going to be the cohort leaders. There's only one spot left for their cohort. They've been busy, all right? And so you can go on and sign for that. In April, the Whaley's, are, Jeremy and Amanda Whaley, are going to be leading that cohort, and there's a few spots left there. Marla and I are going to be personally leading the cohort that starts in February. So the first eight people to register for that will be in our home being personally discipled by Marla and I for six months moving forward. So once those eight spots are filled, they're up. So we want to encourage you guys, if you're like, hey, I'm in. I'm ready to like step into fully what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. If you're like, hey, I would love to get discipled personally by myself or my wife or the, or the Garcias or the Whalers or whatever works out with the time, Go online today and check it out. You can register on the app, or you can also go to our brand new website, redeeminghumanity.com. And so we'll send out the information for you later on that, um, but we will let you know. And we are excited to have you engage in this process with us, equipping you and, and helping you move forward on your spiritual journey. There is gonna be something really powerful when a community comes together and decides that they're going to get serious about what it looks like and feels like to engage Jesus and the power that's available in that, that we might be those who live by faith, who are known by love, and will become a voice of hope to the world around us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that...
you have invited us into this beautiful adventure of life and that you have given us all the resources that we need to live by faith, to be known by love, to be a voice of hope. I pray that you would grant us the courage to live a life of risk informed by you, to love in a way that we would sacrifice God and to live lives so informed by hope that it would be the greatest message to the world around us that there is more available. And God, teach us to become those who are disciples of you in a way that not only transforms our lives but transforms every single person that we come in contact with. We thank you for how good you are and how much you invest in us and how much you give to us generously. We are so grateful and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.